Hi there, my name is Adam Waters and I'm the lead pastor here at Grace Bible Church in Elmhurst, Illinois. I'm just so glad that you made the decision to take us along with you this week on life's journey. Here at Grace Bible Church, we are a family of faith who seeks forgiveness, healing, and hope in Jesus Christ. Now we might all come from different backgrounds, but each of us recognize that the tremendous needs in our lives point us to one place, to God, for His answers, His provision, and mostly for His grace. I hope the following program gives you a new perspective on who God is, who you are, and how you too might find forgiveness, healing, and hope in our Lord Jesus. Thanks for listening. Good morning. So, if you haven't noticed, our worship has been about praising God. And you can contrast that in your mind to Wayne's prayer. When you turn on your television, what do you see? Afghanistan, Haiti, Mexico, the northeast coast of the United States. You might ask yourself, we're, we're focusing on praising God? But let me make sure that you consider carefully that our God is a mighty God. But he's in control. He is in control. He has a plan for this world, and he's going to work out that plan. Consider Wayne's prayer. We have the unique power of coming to the Lord in prayer and imploring him for mercy and of taking care of those who suffer and are in need. This is a wonderful thing. Beyond that, we have assurance of the sovereignty of God. We know the end, the story, how it will end. We know a king the King of Kings who will set all things right. We have a lot to praise the Lord for. Turn to Psalm 150. Let's read the first six verses. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and lyre. Praise him with timbrel and dancing. Praise him with the strings and pipe. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath Praise the Lord. Many of you have heard the stories of my battle with the chipmunks on my property. I have to admit, they are winning right now. Fall is coming. They are gloating, running across my lawn and driveway, cheeks full of nuts, saying, I bet you can't get me. Um, but what it's pointing, pointing out to me already, even in today, you know, this week it was 90 degrees almost, is that fall's coming. Fall, fall is right around the corner. Uh, part of what I love about fall is football. We talked about it already uh, today, is, is football. And specifically college football. Now, I have to admit, I've not watched a whole lot of college football in my life, but just a couple of weeks I was thinking about, I want to start doing that. There's something about watching college football that feels right to me. I don't know. Maybe I'll watch it and I'll be like, ah, it's not everything it was cracked up to be. But there are some reasons why 
I want to start watching college football, why I have an appreciation for college football. The first are the marching bands. How come NFL teams don't have marching bands? It's like they'll stop the game, let everyone rest while they do their thing in the marching. But that is so awesome. And they do these choreographed numbers, and they have all these loud brass instruments, the drums, you know, it's just awesome. The other piece about college football is this intense sense of battle that occurs between two teams. Watching as the tide turns from one to the other, watching them dig deep for the good name of their school, the sense of battle. I don't want to leave out the cheerleaders. Now, before you judge me, cheerleading is hard work. I've been watching some videos on some of like the tosses and the, the amazing acrobatics that it takes to be able to do this. Now, think about what a cheerleader actually is doing. They're fomenting the sense of battle that occurs on the battlefield. That is their intent. It's to draw you in and get you to cheer. Did you ever see them pan the stadium within a college football? It's crazy, and I love it. It's awesome. It's about esprit de corps. Esprit de corps is a phrase that we would use in the Marine Corps about that sense of fighting spirit of we're in this together kind of feel. One time back in probably 2000 or so, we had something called a field day. That's a little bit different than the cleaning, cleaning time, you might think. This was an opportunity for every battalion in our regiment to get together and prove that they were the best. And it was through acts of physical feats. I don't know. It was awesome. So one of the things we did is we had a huge soccer field and a large ball, probably eight feet high. And we'd line up one whole team, a hundred people on one side and a hundred people on the other with this huge ball in the middle. And the idea was to push the ball into the opposing side's end zone, a lot like American football. So I'm standing on the sidelines. I'm a combat medic now. And so I'm standing there with my bag and just, I love it. It's just awesome. They blow the whistle and you see two sides of Marines who are, my brothers are crazy, okay? Running towards this ball as fast as they can and everyone watching with bated breath and this slow roar starts to occur. And they get to the center and it's like a scene out of Braveheart. There's like this crashing of teams. There's this crashing of battle. The ball gets flung up in the air. Like in the first five minutes, we had two broken arms. We had a guy with a concussion. We had, you know, I stayed busy. They had fun. It was a wonderful day. <laughs> you train like you fight. You train like you fight. Next Saturday officially begins college football season. You know, and for us, for me, that places our own team spirit about being Christians in stark contrast. I think that we lack a sense of team spirit in our church often. We often do. Our minds, when we come to worship, should not be on team Adam or team Paul or team Apollos. It should be on team Jesus. Team Jesus. When we come and celebrate together, it should be we are cheering our team on. If it works better for you for the metaphor, say team Trinity. Team Jesus. You see, God desires our praise and our worship to be robust, to be varied, and to be Christ-centered. And that's what we're going to see from this psalm. Okay? If we elevate our preferences over God's prescriptions for worship, we end up making praise and worship about ourselves. And this will just perpetuate what our sin nature tells us to do. But we have been freed 
from that life of self-centeredness and of elevating our own preferences. And now we need to fight back in the power of the Holy Spirit and make our worship look like God wants our worship to look. God wants our worship to look. So we're in Psalm 150. This is the last psalm of the book of Psalms. This is the last of what's known as the Hallel songs. And we see it at the beginning. The word, praise the Lord, praise is hallelujah. If you were to read the Hebrew, it would say hallelujah. I'm using the word praise and worship interchangeably here because they're essentially the same thing for our purposes this morning. And as we go through this, I want you to notice that there are four basic ideas that occur as this passage goes through. It's the who of worship, the where of worship, the why of worship, and the how of worship. Okay? So let's look at the who of worship in verse 1. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. The first principle for this morning is that the object of our praise should be God alone. The object of our praise should be God alone. Now, this seems obvious. It's like, what are we doing here on a Sunday morning? In fact, we call it, I'm going to worship. It's a worship service. We're having praise and worship at the beginning. We're singing praise songs. But there are a few important pieces here that we really need to understand out of this one beginning of verse. Praise the Lord. First of all, it's an imperative and an invitation. The speaker is calling others to come in and lift and boast about the name of Yahweh, the God of Israel, the one true God. The word we use here is praise, but this is not just singing. Do you realize how we limit that when we say that? We, we will sing praise music, and we'll talk about the praise portion of the service, and it's always at the beginning, the first three songs, the response song at the end. But this word means so much more than that. It means to admire in one's heart. Admire and it also means to eulogize. Now, many of you have been to funerals where there have been eulogies. Someone gets up and says many nice things about the person who has passed on. That idea of eulogy, finding everything positive you can say about somebody, is what we do when we praise God. And he's an infinite God with infinite goodness. We have infinite reasons to eulogize and praise his name and what he has done. So whether we're singing in church, telling others about Jesus, praying to our Father, or just meditating on who God is, we need to ask ourselves, are we actually praising God? Because we can make worship entirely about ourselves. Now, just last week, we had a time the computers failed, and we sang out of the hymns. And there was a resounding cheer when we declared we would not be singing from the screen, but from the hymns with limited music and out of four-part harmonies. And I understand why. Yet we need to be cautious about why we want what we want when worship is about the who. Who we're praising. The music, the ambiance, the genre, the demonstrativeness that we seek to find in worship, they can become idols. Is the light set dim enough? Are the stage lights bright enough? Does the beat maintain an upbeat and happy tempo? Is there a time for deep contemplation? All the while thinking about how this affects me. Not, what does this do to my heart before the face of God? Am I lifting my admiration, my boasting, my praise to the God who's looking down upon the way I'm worshiping, who I'm worshiping? Not necessarily the how. 
Now, lest you think I'm talking only about fog machines and light shows when I talk about this, it's important to note that this attitude can happen regarding all of our preferences, especially things like hymns, like we saw last week. We see the worst of the style we don't prefer. Isn't that true? I'm on social media all the time, and I don't know how many times I've heard people say that song. The last one I heard was The Blessing. You guys know the song, The Blessing. He's like, it's not a worship song. And there was like 6,000 comments on the, it's not a worship song. And he goes on and defends himself, and then there's all this time spent, wasted, when we could have simply asked the question, what does it do to the heart of the believer before the face of God? Does it elevate and exalt the God we worship, or does it not? It's all about experience, they say. Oh, we shouldn't come to church and have an experience. Read the Psalms when David says, Lord, why are you doing this to me? My bones break for lack of you. These are worship hymns within the Bible itself that are full of man and God in relation, in conversation and dialogue in their worship. In fact, we were made for relationship with God. Why should we not have an encounter with God? It's one of our vision points that we would exalt and encounter God here in our worship. Don't you want to come on Sunday morning with your brothers and sisters in the community of believers and feel God with us? We don't live for that. But for heaven's sake, I sure want to feel God. Why should we not strive for the interaction that seems so obvious in all of David's psalms? Instead, we scrap it and say, well, if it makes me feel a certain way, it's not actually worship. I'd want to push back against that. Our worship is not a one-way affair, after all. It's an exchange between God and each of us, individually and as a body. We must never forget the object of our worship. Imagine you are in the stadium shouting at the top of your lungs, face painted. Guy, guys, maybe our shirts are off for the show and they're painted like they typically are. Maybe it's below zero and, you know, we're acting crazy with our Viking helmets on and all of that. Or ladies, you're wearing a goofy foam hat. And the whole time you're thinking, wow, this is awesome. I feel great. We look awesome. Let's see how loud we can shout without ever considering the fact we're there for the team. We're there for the team. We are here for Team Jesus. We are here to shout and exalt and lift his name on high, admiring him in our hearts while we do. Who are you rooting for during worship? Are you rooting for Jesus? Or are you rooting for a preference? This is a question we all have to ask ourselves. I'm not picking on one side or another. This is a question we need to constantly have before us in our worship. Our sin nature tells us it's about us. When our worship and our praise is about God the Father and Jesus Christ, his Son, through the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's the who of worship. Now it's the where of worship, the remainder of verse 1. Praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in his mighty heavens. The second point from this passage is the venue of our praise should be everywhere centered in Christ. The venue for our praise is everywhere centered in Christ. 
So a venue, many of you have heard that word. A venue is a place that a, an event occurs. So often we'll go hear a concert and we'll say, well, what venue is it? Is it Allstate Arena? Is it Aragon Ballroom? Is it so on and so forth? What venue? Or what stadium is this particular two, these particular two teams playing at? The venue. We might call our venue for worship the church. What the psalmist here says, it says, praise him in his sanctuary. It literally says, in his holy place. For the Jew, this would mean in the temple in Israel. That that would be the venue for praise of God. But for the believer, it's no longer that way. For the believer, our temple is the body of the Holy Spirit. Have you ever thought about that? That for the Old Testament times, they would look at the temple as the central meeting place of God. The temple. The building. Yet we, as the body of Christ, are now the temple of the living God. We, within us, is where Almighty God, creator of the universe, resides. Do you believe that? That you walk around with God inside of you? And you carry all of the power of the Trinity within you. Yet we walk around considering ourselves weak. Never recognizing that with God, we have power. It's only in ourselves that we don't have it. 1 Corinthians 6.16. Paul says, For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. God walks among us. He dwells within us. We are the location of worship. It's not worship of us, but we are the venue for the worship of God. Worship occurs wherever we are because worship happens in the Spirit, and the Spirit resides in us. So we don't need to be going anywhere to praise and worship the Lord, either by the way we sing or the way we speak or to whom we talk or pray or even do our housework or our daily job. We often call the church our temple. I hear it all the time. In fact, we call this place the sanctuary. We call this the holy place. But I would argue that it's not the holy It's not the holy place. It's not holy in itself. Our church is a building used for our family gathering as a place of convenience. It's a place where we can have our stuff set up in order to meet on a specific day of the week, throughout the week for various things, in order to come together. But this is not the holy place. Just ask the believers in Afghanistan. Could you imagine if they had this? How blessed we are. We see the outward expression. We see all of the externals, the trappings of our Christianity. And consider those things holy instead of recognizing that they are holy because of the holy God who lives within us. We are the church, not the building. Moreover, as the body of Christ, he is the reason we are the temple of God. He's our final sacrifice. There's no longer a need for the temple. He's our priest, so no temple. He's the dwelling place of God, so there's no need for the temple. He's where believers gather in the spirit to worship. 
You know, the New Testament says that when Christ died, the veil was torn in the temple at Jerusalem from the top to bottom. This veil was what separated mankind from the Holy of Holies, a perfect, holy, and exalted God in sinful, earthly man, a veil. Yet the moment Christ died and breathed his last, it torn from the top. God ripped that veil miraculously to tell us that there is no longer a separation between us and God, that we have full access to God through Jesus Christ, his son. God eliminated the need for the temple by his own initiative. And later when the Jewish people continued to reject the Messiah, God made it impossible for his sacrifice to be profaned again by destroying the temple through the Roman army in 70 AD. When the psalmist expands the venue even more, he says, praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him not only in his holy place within us, but praise him in the mighty heavens. The word is rakia. It's the word in Genesis 1.6. It says, and God said, let there be a vault, a vault between the waters to separate water from water. What the psalmist is saying, all of creation, everything under the sun. Let us praise God within ourselves, the holy place, and let us praise God out there. Everywhere is the venue for the praise of God. One of the most special aspects of that for me, for our worship together, is the doctrine of mystical union. Now, before you freak out over the word mystical, Mystical union is a theological doctrine that says all believers over time and in every place are connected by one spirit with God the Father. Through Jesus Christ. We are the body of Christ. We are all one. When we worship Jesus Christ here on Sunday morning, we do so with others around the world at the same time. That is just amazing to me. And it's not just that we're singing the same songs or doing the same function. It's that we're connected. So in a very real way, in a way I don't understand, but real nonetheless, that as we're singing, oh, praise the name, we are also singing Amazing Grace with a church someplace else. That's amazing to me. And as the earth turns over its, around its axis, the praise and worship of God occurs every hour of every day, nonstop. That is just amazing to me. That's amazing to me. Everywhere is the location of our praise and worship of God. We don't need a beautiful stadium like a college football field in order to worship Team Jesus. Our venue is everywhere centered in Jesus Christ. Are you viewing your day-to-day -day out there? This series, last, this is the last week, by the way, this series of everyday worship. Are you viewing your everyday, day-to-day -day life out there as your holy place, as your venue for worship and praise? For those of you who have noticed, I mentioned it in week one, the image for this series, it's a bunch of dirty pots and pans. There is the venue of praise. My shower, that's my venue of praise, I gotta tell you. Driving a car, venue of praise. Changing a kid's diaper, venue of praise. Everywhere we go, our lives should be marked by the praise and worship of God, not just on Sunday morning, 
Because you have to admit with me, we kind of clean ourselves up on Sunday morning. We come here cleaned up. We put on the bravest, most bestest face. I mean, I don't know how many times I told my kid, you better be on your best behavior. But the rest of the week, it's like, let her hang out, you know? It's like... Everywhere we go as God's children, as worshipers made in the image of Jesus Christ, we should be declaring his praises. So that is the where we praise. So let's talk about the why we praise him. The psalmist gives us that as well. Verse 2. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Third point, the reasons for our praise are God's deeds and dominion. His deeds and dominion. You see, we praise God for his mighty acts, for his acts of power. We never praise God for things like uh, things that he could have done, but he didn't. Maybe we would. We never praise him for losing because he never does. Team Jesus always wins. We have an infinite number of reasons to praise because we have a God who's done infinite deeds of goodness. So we always have a reason to praise him. I've had some bad days lately. Bad days. Tom talked about it. Kind of stole my introduction, my transition from that to that. Frankly, you did it better than me, brother, so that's fine. But Afghanistan, I'm having a hard week. I'm a veteran. I have brothers and sisters who have died in Afghanistan. I'm on lots of Facebook pages with people I know who served with me. It's not good. It's not good. If you have veterans in your life, whether or not they've served in Afghanistan, call them and tell them you love them. If you have veterans who served in Vietnam, call them and tell them that you love them because they're watching Saigon happen all over again. And so not only is it bringing up emotions for these for my guys, but bring up emotions for them as well. So in the midst of that, watching the news in the morning, why am I watching this? This is so stupid. Nothing good. It's easy to see all the bad. But as Tom pointed out, Jesus wins. Jesus wins. Maybe we're down at halftime. Maybe we're down by big, and we don't think it's going to happen, but we all know that trope in movies. Someone comes in and says, we're going to do this. That is what I'm hoping to bring to you this morning. It's what I'm hoping God is doing to you now, is that he's preparing you for the second half with the guarantee that we are going to win this game, that our team will be victorious. That no matter what it looks like on the field of play, right now our team will carry the day. And we will stand before the throne one day with trophies in our hands. And giving ultimate and final and infinite praise to our God forever because of what he has done. We never have a shortage of what God has done in our lives. What he's done to redeem us the stories of others, how he has saved people in the past. We've talked about this several times, 
and it's coming slowly. Aaron has done a lot of work in this to get a sound studio put together in the basement. We have a venue now, a location where we can begin recording in earnest. And not just on our phone. This is, these are, this is well done. And so Michael has recorded some music that uh, will be published for others, the benefit of others. I'm going to be starting a podcast about drug addiction. And I got to thinking about this. as like I said it last week, maybe the week before. We defeat the beast by the blood of the lamb and the word of the testimony. What if each of us who was led to by the spirit recorded their testimony and we set a podcast of stories of grace Everyone 10, 12 minutes telling the world what God did in you and through you and in your life. Imagine the power. If God promises us that we defeat Satan by what we say regarding Jesus Christ, who he is and what he's done for us, imagine the damage we can do. Imagine what we can do. So we have no lack of deeds to be praising our God for. And those good deeds occur because we have a good God. Not only do we praise him for our de- his deeds, we praise him for his dominion. His power and sovereignty, his superintendence and control over this world and every, listen to this, every facet of your life. There's nothing in your life that is outside the purview of God's control no matter what it looks like, no matter what it feels like. God can do it. Because he's a mighty God who called everything that is from nothing. He's a mighty God of strength. A God of glory. A God of majesty who's high and exalted. Do you ever think about the beauty of God? Have you ever thought about that? How when you gaze upon Jesus Christ by faith in the eyes of your heart, you see a beautiful Savior, one who's perfect in every way, who loves you and has been good to you, forgiving and compassionate, slow to anger, calling you home again and again. We have a God of mighty character, one worthy to be praised. When watching football and sports more generally, we praise good plays and strong idols, don't we? It's like what we do. Strong models, rather, not idols. Strong models. Think about it. Did you see that play last night? Oh, that was odd. Did you see that play? Wow, wasn't what Baez, what Javi did? Tagging that guy and still turning the double play? Javi. Tear. For those of you who don't know, Javi Baez was, the I don't know, the greatest Cub in my mind that's played in the last 10 years, and they traded him and our other two guys too. So if you're watching from around the world, there's a little look into Chicago sports. Or did you see Allison Felix? She's promoting the Children's Miracle Network. What a role model. What a strong Christian woman. For those of you who don't know who Allison Felix is, she's a gold medal winner in Tokyo in the 4x400-meter relay. Strong Christian believer, strong believer. We need to talk about her more often. Allison Felix. How often do you praise Jesus in your everyday worship? I mean, day to day, walking around. 
What do you praise him for? Are you thinking about things to praise him for? How often do you recount his great plays in your life? You're not going to believe what Jesus did in my life yesterday. He did this when I didn't think it was possible, and he did this, and then this happened. All the while, the bagger at the store is looking at you wide-eyed. Tell everyone. I don't care. Tell them. Tell them. Blood of the Lamb, word of the testimony. Do damage. Or what about his status as humanity's perfect role model? We look at all these role models on TV, these sports and all this stuff. It's horrific sometimes. Horrific, the people that this culture, and us included at times, will exalt. Yet how many of you, be honest, have heard of Allison Felix? Fifteen. Why not go right to the source? Jesus Christ, the role model par excellence, the role model upon every other role model is modeled. Jesus. And tell others. So we've talked about who we praise. We talked about where we praise We talked about why we praise. Now, this is my favorite point of this sermon, so. The how we praise. The how we praise. Let's see what the psalmist says. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and the lyre. Praise him with timbrel and dancing. Praise him with the strings and pipe. Praise him with the clashing of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Fourth point for this morning. However you praise God, praise him with everything you got. Everything you got. And it doesn't have to be perfect. It could be everything you have. Everything you got. We praise him first with variety. Some of these instruments, I looked these up. These are instruments we know. For instance, the blasting of the trumpet, that's a shofar. That's the animal horn, the coiled animal horn. Right? You can't carry a really good tune with a shofar. It just makes noise. (laughs) Praise him with the blast of the trumpet. The harp is called a navel. It's a stringed instrument of some type. The lyre is called a kinor. It's also known as something like a zither. It's a cross between a harp and a guitar. You've seen it. It's sort of uh, heart-shaped maybe, and it's got strings, and it's a resonator with a hole in the center, and it strums like this, a kinor. A timbrel. In Hebrew, that's called a tof. A tof is a tambourine with a drum skin. A tambourine with a drum skin. Or it could just be a drum, a hand drum, maybe a cajon. We play a cajon up here. The strings, minim, a stringed instrument, dare I say a violin. A pipe, a yugav, something like a flute. Cymbals, tzetzelim. Now, they don't know what this is, but it's either clashing of the cymbals or castanets. I lean towards castanets, but it takes away from my sermon, so let's pretend it's clashing cymbals. This tzetzelim, sounds more like an onomatopoeia to me, tzetzelim. So, our worship band, strings, drums, flute, guitar, shofar, 
Shofar, shofar so good? Okay. <laughs> variety. Variety. Not only with variety, but with intensity. Intensity. Our worship of the Lord, declaration of his praise, whether or not it's out there in the line at the store or in here on Sunday morning should be done with intensity. There's a video of marathon runners. Uh, there's, in fact, it was from this Tokyo Olympics. They crossed the line. Two ladies crossed the line, and they start laughing. They're like, they're bump, fist bumping and all of that. They had more left in the tank. Did you ever see that video of the woman in the marathon crawling across the line? That's what our worship should look like. Our worship of the infinite God should look like we have nothing left because he's demanding it all, whether or not it's here or it's out there. Listen to the words, the blasting of the trumpet, the blasting, the clash of cymbals, the resounding cymbals. That word resounding is the same word for, get this, raise the battle cry. Resounding. I want people to be walking their designer dogs on the sidewalk outside, I ain't hating, I want one too, but designer dogs, and I want them to say, what is happening in there? What is happening in there? Not only with intensity, but with our whole being. Did any of you catch that D word in here? Dancing. Dancing. God's word, Psalm 150. Dancing. It literally means, I'm going to ruin your day. It literally means to dance in a ring. Now, where have you seen dancers in the worship of God dancing in a ring? Basically, I saw it at the western wall of the temple complex in Jerusalem while Hasidic Jews praised the Lord dancing in a ring. Jewish wedding, did you ever see videos of that? Dancing in a ring. They're having fun and worshiping God at the same time. This seems to be so diametrically opposed for some of us. Having fun, worshiping God. Some of you might have seen satirical videos of Jews worshiping. There's another one of um, their probably um, Sufi Muslims worshiping, and they overdub techno music to it. So when you watch them doing their religious dance, there's like the behind it. It's awesome. It's awesome. I love it. I watch it all the time. Every once in a while, I feel bad. I'm like, you know what? I need to watch the, and I watch the video again. And I got to be honest, it puts us to shame sometimes. I look at these men and these women who are dancing, sweat coming off their foreheads. Worshiping the God who created them in the manner God tells them to worship him with everything they got. Does that look like how we worship here on Sunday morning or out there when we're dealing with people or at home or whatever? I don't think it does. With our whole being. Oh, I hear the pitter-patter. How about this? I love you guys. You cannot clap, okay? 
we are actually soon, we're going, I'm not kidding, we're having a clapping lesson in Sunday morning church, okay? Because it feels to me that the Holy Spirit wants to break out through us. Like the Spirit is waiting to come out, but we can't figure out, do I hit on one and three or two and four? Or what is a one and what is a three anyway? Okay, we're going to get this squared away. I thought about, let's get a, a, a visual metronome that beats. So people know exactly when, let me give you the shorthand, a little cliff note, just watch Stephanie. When she's got a tambourine, don't clap unless that tambourine is going. Clap on the tambourine, but that's, we'll save that for another day. Hand raising, hand raising. By the way, that's in the Psalms with holy raised hands, holy hands, hand raising. I think there are times that people look at us and say, or look at people who are worshiping this way. I even sense this in myself a little bit, and we say something like, how dare they enjoy worship? But really, I'm saying, oh, I wish I could do that. <laughs> something like deep within me is saying, I wish I could just let that out. Because I feel God wanting that. Like, I want to give him everything. He gave me everything. I can't give him everything. Everything. Or we'll look at them and say, oh, they must be those kind of worshipers. Those kind of worshipers. Or what happens if we start clapping next thing we're going to be rolling around in the aisles? There's a long way between clapping and rolling in the aisles. Rolling in the aisles, not in the Bible, okay? Dancing's in the Bible. For those of you who struggle with the clashing of symbols in worship and these outward expressions of joy and praise, I get it. I really do. Just know that God doesn't. God doesn't get it. There are times I want to worship in a way that God's calling me to, and because of fear, how people are going to look at me, whatever, I don't. And that's the wrong attitude to have. When we look at God's word and we filter our reading of God's words through our own presuppositions about worship should look like, that's sinful. That's sinful. We'll read all the way through and talk about what does it look like to be properly dressed? What does it look like to be properly standing? How many parts are we singing this song in? And then to breeze over dancing, blasting of trumpets. We need to read God's word in its entirety to know. I've heard many comments throughout my time in ministry that certain styles of music generally, or even certain Christian musical genres are unworthy, empty, or even dangerous. I'd like to comment on that for a second, real quick, based on evidence we see in this psalm. I think it's really important for us to know. And I want to do this quickly because the kids are ready. Strictly speaking, there is no such thing as Christian music. There are only Christian lyrics. There are only Christian lyrics. So the lyrics is what is the most important piece of it. Even noise performed by the Christian to the glory of God is God-honoring. One of the translations for the clashing of symbols is the beating of pans. Even noise to the glory of God glorifies him. Hoping for an experience with God is not wrong. Neither is having fun. Look, dancing in a circle, with one another, during worship. Our God is an infinite and ineffable God. That means that you cannot say everything about him. Why should our worship music be limited to a certain style that is inevitably rooted in the past? I'm not saying the past is wrong. I'm just saying we always say, let's go back to this. We should be doing this. Never do we say, you know what, our music is so, let's just make up a new music. Let's just make up a new genre for Christian. For, you know, we never say that. It's always going back. The theological depth of lyrics is not the universal or only hallmark of a worthy Christian hymn or song. 
Consider this psalm. If we sang this psalm, we would say, wow, it's not really saying anything, is it? It's not. It's just saying praise the Lord with all these different instruments. There's no theological depth there. Yet if we sang a similar song written today with the same the lack of what we'll call theological data, we'd say, terrible song. We should not be singing that. Look, look at that. We said the same thing 15 times. Praise him. With that being said, songs of theological depth are not limited to just four-part harmonies or four-four meters. Consider the following lyrics to one of my favorite songs. I'm going to read a song to you, okay? I want you to listen to the theological truth that is in this song. All right. Regeneration, the Holy Spirit's true work in his love, to the elect to receive new birth from above. Expiation means God's removed my filthiness. The Old Testament type was the goat into the wilderness. Redemption. We've been freed from slavery to sin, and his own very own blood is the price he paid, my friend. Propitiation means that since the lamb has died, his work is finished, God's wrath is satisfied. Adoption means God is now my father. I got the hottest papa, and by the spirit, hala abba. Reconciliation means there's no more enmity. God is now a friend to me. We're no longer enemies. Justification, God declares us righteous. Sanctification, we're being made into his likeness. Glorification, that's what happens at the finish when God conforms believers perfectly to Christ's image. And the chorus, just fall back. And with the eyes of faith, behold the beauty of surprising grace. Because the lamb has died, third day he had to rise. He's magnified, God's wrath is satisfied. That's theologically rich. Does anyone know this song? This song is called Atonement Q&A by the Christian rapper Shylin. Okay? If you listen to it and you didn't listen to the words, you would assume it's regular hip-hop. You would have no, and you would probably say, oh, I don't listen to that. No such thing as Christian music, only Christian lyrics. And those lyrics, what they do to our heart before God is what matters. Have you ever noticed how much when we sing hymns, we sing in the third person? about God. And have you noticed how much in the more contemporary music we sing in the second person to God? You. So there's value in all of it, and God demands all of it. Variety. And so when we do worship, that's what we're going to seek to do. Variety. That is what we should be seeking in our life, too. Wash the dishes for God. Go play golf for God is an act of worship. Think about that. It's how we praise and live our life that matters. Finally, verse 6, let everything that has breath praise the Lord, praise the Lord. There's an invitation that all of creation, everything that breathes, should sound his praise. And one day, it will. One day, it will. So our four points, the object of our praise should be God alone. The venue of our praise should be everywhere centered in Christ. The reasons for our praise are God's deeds and dominion, and however you praise God, praise him with everything you got. Imagine the course of praise that will exist one day when we stand in the flesh in the new earth, and everything that lives cries out to God in praise and worship. Imagine that day, the heavenly venue, praising, shouting, and worshiping Team Jesus, pounding our seats, 
dancing with each other in the presence of God and clapping our hands, all while the heavenly marching band blasts its trumpets, clashes its cymbals, and beats its drums as we sing, Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Praise the Lord! Glory to God in the highest! Worthy is the Lamb! Yeah, amen. Let's not wait. We don't got to wait till then. We can start doing this now. Let us cheer our Savior night and day with every breath we have until he returns and until eternity. Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, for all of the reasons that we have to praise your name. We thank you, Lord, for this such a simple psalm, Lord, that's all emotion about what it means, Lord, to praise you every way we can. We pray, Father, that our worship here at Grace Bible Church would be varied, would be intense, and, Lord, would be everything. We pray, Lord, that as we live our lives in our day-to-day, that even it would be a declaration of who you are as our Savior and Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Pastor Adam here. Well, I want to thank you for tuning in to Grace Bible Church, and I would love to hear what you thought of today's program or of ways that we can be praying for you and with you. So check us out on social media, at GBC Elm. Also, if you would like to support our ministry, you can give securely at our website at www.gbcelm.org. Now remember, God loves you, and so do we.